some crazy uh, stories about violence uh, around the country. While it's not as uh, dramatic as it could be perceived, mm -hmm. because this is a pretty large country, uh, it's still something stressful when uh, anything happens near you. But uh, I think that the, the, the actual mind is, is amazing, and I don't know if only Mexico, but uh, that lets you become actually uh, a functioning human being no matter the outside uh, world. Uh, I, I imagine, and I'm not sure, like people in war zones still are able to function. Mm -hmm. uh, and not by normalizing, but I think our, our brains tend to uh, uh, focus on, uh, become more uh, self-centered and focus once this kind of uh, situations happen. So regarding Me Mexico, I think there's uh, uh, there's a certain stress regarding the, the overall uh, uh, macro situation regarding violence, probably uh, given the political times about the uh, uncertainty of the near future. But then again, there's this self-rewarding or self-serving uh, thoughts that are like, okay, we've come this far and whenever or, or nation has been tested, such as when there's a huge earthquake mm. or a big event happens, we've, uh, as a country, like, we have responded. Mm. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. So what I do in this podcast is I interview all types of crazy people, and I let you decide uh, who is going to be a genius and who is just crazy. Uh, and I'm not putting any value judgments on what crazy means. It's also a very relative topic that depends on the person talking. Uh, most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is basically grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it. Because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Uh, today I interviewed Mac Gutierrez. I've been living in Mexico and I met Mac uh, while I was living there in Guadalajara. And Guadalajara is somewhat like the, they call it the Silicon Valley of Mexico, uh, but as with all analogies, it's not quite the case. Uh, Mexico has its own particular unique advantages and weaknesses that require a local um, uh, way of doing things, and there certainly is a local way of doing things in Guadalajara. I interviewed Mac, and he's the uh, um, founder of the Mexican branch of Hackers and Founders, a great community for people wanting to start con uh, start companies. Uh, he has created a, a large and vibrant community uh, in hacker with hackers and founders in Guadalajara. He has a lot of valuable things to say about stress, and particularly he gives. Uh, there's a lot of talk right now about you know Mexico, particularly coming from an administration, and we as Americans have uh, so many. We as United States citizens have so many kind of preconceptions of Mexico, uh, but in my various times there, I found that most of those preconceptions are very, very just kind of skewed. Uh, and so I'm really interested in, in this interview that I did with Mac because uh, Mac has a lot of valuable wisdoms to say about w how Mexicans deal with stress, what types of stress they deal with, um, and I'll let him explain more. If you like this episode, please find us on iTunes at Crazy Wisdom.
and if you like it, please subscribe. Thanks. Have a great day. I'm Mac Gutierrez. I'm the director for Hackers and Founders Mexico. Cool. And what do you guys do here? Well, we are uh, first a uh, large community of entrepreneurs, uh, mostly tech entrepreneurs, and we also run an accelerator program down here. Mm, cool. Uh, how big is your community? Uh, in uh, Mexico, we're in 23 cities. Uh, probably in the world, we're past 120. Okay, and it's headquartered here in Guadalajara? Uh, for Mexico, yes. Okay. We also have offices in Silicon Valley, which are the HQ. Oh, got it. Okay. And can you talk more about your accelerator? Yeah, it's a kind of different breed of accelerator. We focus on choosing the right people and then uh, at super early stages and then supporting them until they actually get mm -hmm. uh, into escape velocity and make it happen. How many large companies have come out of Mexico so far, large startup companies? Well, I think uh, while the ecosystem is still young, uh, we're seeing more and more companies. Like uh, this year has been an eventful year in terms of fundraising and acquisitions. Uh, uh, and it's starting to pick up. Like uh, we have been working and building this over the last seven years. And now it's finally we're starting to see uh, those exits and acquisitions were. Walmart just recently acquired a company from Mexico. Yeah, Walmart uh, bought Corner Shop, uh -huh. and then uh, within the region, because we don't see Mexico as exclusive, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, because regionally, like it's everything connected, and also uh, Rapid just uh, became a unicorn, so things are speeding up. Uh, and, and while Rapid is Colombian, they have a lot of seed investment from Mexico, so it's huh. kind of. So Latin America is, is, is one in general region, you're saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of entrepreneurship, yes. In terms of uh, uh, real government and regulation, no. Uh, interesting, <laughs> yeah. Do a lot of companies from, say, like Mexico also work here? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so what, um, how long have you personally been involved in startups? Since seven years ago. Okay. Like uh, officially, when I decided to like start getting involved, it's seven years ago. Okay. I, I've been in and out of startups since nineteen ninety. Uh -huh. No, ninety nine. Since okay. ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. And what what is your relationship like with stress, and what role does that play in, in all these things that you've started? Well, uh, I'm I'm probably in constant stress. Okay. So I I really appreciate. Uh, I've come to terms into understanding it's part of the at least of human nature as I see it uh, I don't think it's good but I think it helps uh, given the time and the moment uh, as long as it's not that sustained uh, high level high risk stress I think it's uh, something that helps you be better at making decisions and probably speed up the decision-making process uh -huh. uh, but uh, when I've been in situations where this has been sustained over long periods of time it starts to affect your health and, mm -hmm. and in those situations is when I've been uh, looking for ways to mm -hmm. uh, make it easier or, or like uh, uh, try to uh, control it up to some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the most interesting things that Keith Rubois said on the show was that um, it, he the most times that he sees burnout is when there's 
a lot of effort, but very little output for that effort. So like you're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but nothing's really hitting it. And that's when you really find burnout. And that's the really difficult part of stress, particularly when it comes to starting something new. Yeah. Uh, um, how do you usually manage your stress or work on it? So I think my stress personally is very situational. And uh, uh, up to some point that I think I've it's, well, not fictional, it's more, uh, uh, how would it, it's, it's not organic. Uh, basically, I know, I know I work better under strength, than under stress, and I think I, I deliberately, deliberately uh -huh. uh, put myself in those situations many times. However, uh, uh, it's when, uh, as, as I've uh, grown up or I've come to understand that sometimes uh, uh, waiting for the last minute or uh, thinking about decisions, it, it, it just makes you get more stuff at the same time. And that's when it becomes unhealthy because you can control certain parts of your stress, but then there's outside forces which you do not control that can start adding up. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more I uh, personally get involved in in a larger uh, in a larger ecosystem, I'm more prone to being affected by external external forces while focusing exclusively on my own uh, things. Mm -hmm. But still, when you start to grow, uh, for example, once you understand if you're fundraising or one of our uh, startups is fundraising uh, uh, and we have a plan and then suddenly there's bad news in the ecosystem, it's something outside of your scope, mm -hmm. but still it stresses you because you are part of the uh, trying to solve something. Uh -huh. uh, it wasn't long ago when I understood that uh, I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I think it's part of the evolution to just understand you have to take the punches and move on yeah. mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, thinking a lot of how to overcome every single mm -hmm. uh, uh, hit, bad news, anything. So it basically comes down to knowing what you can control and what you can't control. Partly just yes, and accepting the things as they are mm -hmm. as opposed to overthinking why they happen. Yeah. Uh, that's a really important point. Um, do you have any techniques like meditation? So I, I tried meditation. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say I practice it, practice it uh, uh, on a constant basis. Uh, I do think I learned a lot of uh, after doing it for, I don't know, it was like eight months mm -hmm. sustained daily. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I I decided, uh, like, I think I'm, I'm mindful now of uh, the moment, mm -hmm. but less prone to uh, spend 20, 30 minutes just doing meditation. So uh, while uh, I don't practice it, practice it, practice it as, as I did, uh, I now think I employ more of, the, of what I learned on my daily, uh, uh, tasks and, and throughout my day uh, and I think that's the way it works better for me mm -hmm. uh, I think I learned mm -hmm. to understand uh, how uh, how to be aware of uh, 
my mind, aware of my body, aware of my uh, surroundings. And I think that has replaced the, the urge for meditation, mm -hmm. actually. And that's a really important point that a lot of people don't get about meditation is that they think that it's something that they do that's separate from their normal lives. But mm -hmm. the real key is whether you can bring it into your everyday life and interactions and actually bring that sense of mindfulness, the sense of clear, okay, this is what's going on, this is what's currently happening right now, everything else is mind created, and this is what we got to come back to, basically. Yeah, I, I was hearing Naval uh, from Angel uh, a couple of days ago talking about <clears throat> specifically meditation. And one thing that came to mind is, uh, uh, he really nails it. At least uh, I, I think I get what he came at. Like he was saying, meditation like lets you see how crazy your head is. Mm -hmm. Like it, it brings an, a whole new level of abstraction uh -huh. in understanding the being aware of oneself and also not thinking like I'm not that crazy monkey mm -hmm. that I can see mm -hmm. just thinking about a thousand things at the same time. So it it gives perspective and, and a whole new level of who are you and what yeah. you want to do. It doesn't, it allows you not to identify so much with your thoughts and your and your uh, feelings and everything like that. And you can step back and look at a third perspective. Exactly, yeah. understanding that uh, your brain is another part of your overall uh, uh, body and, and, I don't know, limbs and it's, it has its it has uh, its own processes on how mm. it works, and part of it is uh, uh, being kind of crazy. Like it's uh, getting a lot of ideas like, pretty fast around many things at the same time, and it's a way it creates these neural connections, and mm. that's how you come up with new ideas. But it's not necessarily that you're thinking; it's that you're seeing how your computer works mm -hmm. from the outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and without uh, doing meditation, I, I sincerely, uh, I probably had observed it, observed it, but I, I wasn't aware uh, as I am now on on how that is. Uh -huh. And so I want to dig into culture of Mexico because I'm here and I want to understand more about what goes on here. Are there any st sources of stress? that are particular to Mexican society or culture, or what is the way that uh, Mexican people react to stress that's uh, unique, if there is? I certainly haven't really... I think the human mind is amazing. Like, uh, you can hear some crazy uh, stories about violence uh, around the country, while it's not as uh, dramatic as it could be perceived, mm -hmm. because this is a pretty large country, uh, it's still something stressful when uh, anything happens near you. But uh, I think that the, the, the actual mind is, is amazing, and I don't know if only Mexico, but uh, that lets you become actually uh, a functioning human being no matter the outside uh, world. Uh, I imagine, and I'm not sure, like people in war zones still are able to function. Uh, and not by normalizing, but I think our, our brains tend to uh, uh, focus on, uh, become more uh, self-centered and focus once this kind of uh, situations happen. So regarding Mexico, I think there's uh, 
there is a certain stress regarding the, the overall uh, uh, macro situation regarding violence, probably uh, given the political times about the uh, uncertainty of the near future. But then again, there's this uh, 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 self-rewarding or self-serving uh, uh, thoughts that are like, okay, we've come this far and uh, whenever our, our, our nation has been tested, such as when there's a huge earthquake mm. or, or, or some big event happens, we've, uh, as a country, like, we have responded. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's always like this uh, general stress about uh, corruption, about violence, about the uncertainty of the future, but then there's this uh, uh, counterweight, mm -hmm. counterweight which states like, okay, we've, we, we will solve this, mm -hmm. like, as we have done before. Mm -hmm. And that brings up an interesting point of, about stress in general is that if we had no stress, we wouldn't be alive because stress is just a natural part of life and, we, and it helps us to adapt and that's the reason we have evolution is because we have this stress of death uh, approaching us and so we survive and we pass those genes on. And, yeah. And, yeah. So that's an interesting point. And it, I think a similar thing happened in Colombia, like the Colombian national identity kind of like came after they had, had the war on drugs, they had like kind of solidified as a national identity and kind of came together and you can really sense when you're there that this this sense of like, they, they know who they are because they've been yeah. tested and they've, they've gotten through it. So yeah, um, that's interesting. And particularly like in terms of work or family, family life, uh, what are some, some things that are unique to Mexico? Because I know just from my own experiences being here and comparing it to my in the states is that in the states we, we have a nuclear family we don't really have that much connection with the yeah. nuclear family but here in Mexico it's like you have your whole family and you're a yeah part so of the family. Uh, part of the society like uh, and 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 it's good you mentioned so there's a, a, a larger family uh, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it because I'm probably more uh, uh, like I'm constant like this is a constant source of stress for me uh -huh. like. Uh, uh, the bigger family, the longer family going to there and all the time requirements and all the social and all stuff. But this, this uh, also translates to everything in society. So Mexico is really, really, really uh, social based. Uh, uh, and it's who you know, uh, who do you hang up with, uh, how many people actually uh, move around society or can escalate. And, and get more opportunities and stuff. So it's a, a, a really interesting point because it's still a society in which what you do matters. And for example, I think it has been a limiting factor in the way we create startups. It sounds weird, but uh, people are terrified of failure because they're gonna be judged. It's not because they're gonna fail, it's because afterwards there will be there will be failures yeah. so as uh, as as i led the community and i have been leading is we really 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 work a lot on like uh, worst thing that can happen is you learn like it don't focus on the on the on, on what what people are going to say just focus on what you learned uh, and, and 
and it has been a constant source of problems for all entrepreneurs. Yeah, and I, th I think it's clear, so I want to be clear that, because in America that definitely exists as well, even in Silicon Valley, like I grew up in Silicon Valley, but even when I was starting a company and I wasn't at a successful point, I would dread going to my family and talking yeah. about it because they weren't in startups, they didn't know about their family. But I think the key difference is that I only had to talk to my immediate family about it. I didn't have to worry about this weekend then I'm going to see all of my aunts and all of my uncles and see and tell them all about this stuff that they're just going to be like, what are you doing? Why aren't you a doctor? You know, or something like that. I think, I think that's a huge difference. How has that evolution have become people become more um, open with failure? I think, I think it's not, uh, I mean, they have come because they've come to understand that it's a normal part of uh, the human process of learning. Uh, it has, as everything, in some points become uh, now uh, all the way around. And, and, and I, have, I actually have a, a funny anecdote that I interviewed someone for, for a job this year and uh, they were telling me, I know I'm going to fail. And I was like, no, you're not getting it. That's not how this works. Like, you fail while trying to succeed. You don't fail because you know you're going to fail. That's, that's not the way <laughs> it works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think with so many things in life, I've been thinking that about, about that a lot, is we, we're doing something in our behavior and then we hear something else that says, oh, don't do that, do something else. And then we overcorrect, so we, like, we then go way too far in that opposite direction as well. I think that's human nature. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah we overcompensate. And, yeah. and there's a lot of, like, uh, I frankly, the more I... And it's not only read, like read, uh, socialize, and think about, uh, think about thinking, think about uh, uh, how do we work as part of a society, as an individual, as a group. Uh, you become more and more aware of all the stuff you don't actually have an idea of. And you become more aware of uh, things that are there and there's literature uh, around it but you just don't know you you understand more and more that you don't know anything and then you uh, I think that what happens is we start uh, at least for me is uh, uh, you try for information and for learning and that brings a new whole uh, 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 problem around time and, and how what to prioritize and then you learn a lot and then I think it's a constant uh, 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 a feeling of uh, I don't understand anything and then there are moments where you understand something new but that in turn brings you to okay so I got this but uh, now this is even bigger that I know less and I have to so <laughs> yeah. it's crazy but uh, I think uh, the way technology helps society is by making the 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 like people can leapfrog because we can communicate better and and now there's not one only single source of information like uh, I might uh, I might read something and don't wholly understand it but then somebody tweets uh, a, a way better definition at least for myself like 
uh, uh, and I will, okay, now, now this other thing, I got it. And, and the way information spread has changed a lot in, mm -hmm. in how we understand society and how we can evolve. Mm -hmm. That brings up a really good point. So I've used uh, something called spaced repetition memorization for a long time now, which is the idea, it's based off of this idea this guy was studying people and he uh, would test memories and he figured out that we forget about 90% of everything that we learn within four days. Uh, and it's pretty standard among mo most human beings, we forget 90% of stuff. And so if you bring something up four days after, after you remember it, if you, uh, it, it'll then ingrain the memory and then it'll go for eight days and then 16 days and then 30 days. So it's an exponential forgetting curve, which you can hack basically to start remembering things. And I'm realizing this that in social media that I'm learning so much from just being on Twitter and having other people push ideas into my head at a time that it makes me remember. So it's like it's like reading, but instead of one linear book where I'm reading this thing, it's like I've got all these different ideas I'm thinking about and learning about, and all of them are becoming more um, solidified in my head and stuff like that so that I can make it. It's really interesting, and I, I don't think we've really fully realized the... the yeah, the way it works. Uh, I, I see it like, coincidentally, I, I was uh, just tweeting today, like, uh, this is a classic, you know, everybody, uh, says like uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatnot are hearing us because I, w I just said this and then uh, an ad came out uh, with the same thing. And while I certainly understand that's 100% possible, uh, my rebuta was, uh, are you not sure you saw an ad for that like two days ago and that's why you were talking about it and now you're aware of it? while before you were not aware uh -huh. because it's not magical or our, our brains are kind of uh, uh, good at uh, noticing stuff we don't do and they will ref show it up once, once, we, once our heads have been primed yeah. Yeah. they will look for it yeah. and, and it's part of a selective blindness and uh -huh. how we work uh -huh. what's your favorite social media or what do you get from social media uh, or using it do you I have a love and hate relationship with social, and uh, but it's uh, I think it's amazing be able to to hear and to understand the way people think, especially when when you have a really good uh, like list of people you follow, especially on Twitter. But also, I think it's it's amazing, and this is how it's a love or hate relationship, like. When I start thinking of social and saying like, okay, when I, this, this thing lets me talk to thousands of people at the same time. And, and, and the whole idea is overwhelming. Like I can go and tell this stuff to people. And that's when I will go through batches of uh, months where I tweet every day and post stuff and, and whatnot, like share what I think and my, what I am learning. But then it's like, Oh my God, I'm spending so much time in this. Uh, uh, and I think it all lays down to uh, how you use it. I think uh, I think as a conversational tool and, and, and a tool for sharing ideas is amazing. I think uh, as a pastime, it's good too, but still it's time wasted. Like you can pass days and days and days reading super interesting stuff that happens around the world, new knowledge and everything, but still it, it's just your brain uh, 
having a day off and, mm -hmm. and yeah. <laughs> letting somebody else drive. And information can be entertainment just like any other thing. Yeah. So it's like if we fill our minds with information without any kind of thread moving through those yeah. facts or anything like that, then it's a waste of time just like many other things. I've been reading, I read, reread re something I thought about before, which was uh, out of 100% uh, of people on social media, there's 1% who are contributors, there's 9% who are uh, who uh, are sharers, people share, mm -hmm. and then there's 90% lurkers. Right, just, yeah, just lurkers. <laughs> just looking, yeah. yeah, and it's so interesting because if you think about it back back to like, you know, when we were in a tribe of 150 people out in the jungle or something like that, you knew everybody who you're talking to. So if you said something, you knew who received that information. Yeah. And now we're in an age where you say something, you have no idea who, who is listening to that. And it just gives me a certain sense of just like, wow, like I have no idea how people are reacting to what I'm doing, but in the way that makes it but it's also magical. Like uh, there's there's pretty good analogies. When when it, just picture you living in a pretty small town, and, and probably this is gonna be people that most of them are gonna think alike. They're gonna like, but you're different. And and this uh, social specifically lets you find people like you and and grow into communities and and actually uh, become more uh, unique as as you are part of a, a larger group. But yeah, it's uh, uh, in that sense. I love. Uh, uh, I'm really, 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 and I'm gonna be like, this is not like the new feature from Apple. The, the, the that controls time is amazing. Like it has a week out, and once you start getting noticed, like, hey, you've done enough social for today. You've done like this is this is amazing. Uh, I didn't realize that because. So. Apple has built software to yeah. monitor how much time you're spending. And it, and you have to tell it like, hey, I want to spend just uh, half an hour or an hour in social media. So uh, it will block everything, mm -hmm. and it will also block stuff at like if you want to go to sleep at certain time, it will block all applications at that time. Mm -hmm. And if you want to use them, you just have to tell it to stop. But that is re breaking the contract, so uh -huh. it's 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 really interesting. <laughs> That's really cool. For another person who I interviewed, Andrew Murray Dunn, he built something like that, but for Android, because yeah. Apple wouldn't uh, wouldn't let them into the yeah. into their into their ecosystem, and so he actually built it for Android. So that, that's really interesting that Apple actually did it as well. Um, that's cool. So what what are some of like the Me Mexico and the U.S. have such a close relationship, but we're such different cultures and different kind of societies and stuff like that. And then the startup thing is really interesting because it's 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 Silicon Valley is close to Mexico. I think yeah. Guadalajara is probably the biggest e ecosystem outside of the United States that's closest to the, to the yeah. Silicon Valley. Um, what is this kind? Of, how what what is that? Well, how has that relationship changed? What what you guys do, or how do you guys find any kind of benefit from being so close to Silicon Valley? Or I think it's uh, and this is not just related to Silicon Valley. It's, uh, uh, there's several phrases around Mexico and their U.S. relations, and it's like uh, it's a love and hate relationship. Like it has been for long, longer than ever. But uh, a good friend of mine actually wrote a book uh, uh, on this. Uh, uh, he's Andrew Seal. He used to be on the which one? This it's a, a, a huge thing. On, on Washington. I will remember in a second. What was his name? Uh, Andrew Seeley. Okay. So uh, he, he just wrote a book which is amazing and, and it's just showing how uh, 
uh, the reality is way different than the perception uh, of how the Mexican uh, and the uh, and American relations are. For example, in the heartland where uh, Trump was elected, uh, there is a city which houses uh, 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 like the three largest employers for that city and in the thousands are Mexican companies. And still, this is where uh, 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 all the votes go against this immigrant. So it's more intertwined now than it was ever intertwined. And, and, and it's, we're more region-minded uh, than ever. It's still, the perception is completely different on the eyes of everyone. Uh, and, and you can see this uh, in a, everywhere, like uh, we can hear uh, like uh, people are losing jobs and stuff, but what we're not saying is it's not the whole picture, like every car is made from stuff from Mexico, the US and Canada, it's not, it's not like, hey, they ship the jobs to Mexico, no, it's, it's, it's a whole process and a whole chain and, and it, it, it's deeper than it seems and their relations are way deeper like cultural relationships have uh, grown in a way that are different now uh, we're certainly different in the day-to-day -day and in how we approach business i think the speed uh, at which we work it's really different uh, i have a lot of theories uh, which are probably wrong about it but uh, 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 it's, uh, it's certainly different than uh, when you go to Silicon Valley. And, and Silicon Valley amazes me just because of the speed. And the speed and how information is uh, something that's shared, not reserved. And I, I think in Mexico, that's the, the, the opposite. Like information is reserved. Uh, uh, because it's seen as the uh, uh, as the, mo the, the the most important part of the value chain, as yeah. opposed to and that's and that's something interesting about Silicon Valley as well. In comparison to the rest of the United States, is that still the same in the rest of the United States? Most people think when they're in a negotiation or anything like that, or talking to their competitors or anything like that, they say hold back the information. That's a power tool that you have in Silicon Valley. They're like, no, let's talk to our competitors and figure out what they're doing. You know, we can figure out even though we know they're competitors, even though we still have that relationship that's competitive. So I think that's really interesting because that's something that's specific to Silicon Valley, this yeah. whole failure thing and this whole information of kind of like hoarding information as opposed to being liberated. I think, and I want to do a side podcast for this, which is essentially, I want to interview people who were around in the 1970s and 1980s in Silicon Valley because that was the same. I think it has a lot to do with the consciousness movement that happened inside of San Francisco as well. Yeah. Because basically, you have two strains going into the creation of, of Silicon Valley. You have the consciousness movement, which opened up the kind of liberal ideas and everybody came from all over the U.S. to San Francisco to kind of find this hippie dream. And then you have the military, which is like the opposite of the spectrum, putting a whole bunch of money into, into the companies in, in, um, in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. And I think there's a connection between those two that, that made the rest yeah. of the Yeah, no, I completely agree. And also, yeah, it, it's a, it, it was a pretty interesting melting pot. And every time that people say, well, how is the Silicon Valley of that or this and, and then, you can hear it from every city in the world. They are the Silicon Valley of something. Uh, but it's silly, like, it's never gonna happen. Like, uh, to me, the Silicon Valley is the, uh, gonna be remembered like we do the Renaissance or we do, it's, it's something different, something that happened and it's, it's a singularity. It's not something that you can just uh, copy and repeat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but it does seem like we are that definitely from a lot of people in San Francisco are starting to move away from San Francisco yeah. because it's so expensive and the same kind of innovation that happened because you had these creative class mixing with this business class is now kind of dispersed because the creative class can't live there anymore. Yeah. So that that is changing and it feels like it's dispersing to the rest of the world to urban centers around the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's eventually going to change. Like it has changed the world uh -huh. so yeah. far. Yeah. The products coming out of it, and I'm not not saying in a business way, like the product of, of, mm. of this uh, a huge uh, social movement uh, has spread to the world and has changed everything. Uh, up to that, many of the practices done there have been starting to be mimicked everywhere. Some are good, some are bad. Most are misunderstood, but uh, it's how a movement. Uh, Works and and I think it's uh, as everything it's at some point is gonna uh, uh, transition into something new, uh, but I like to see the whole tech uh, boom and and the way it has because it's pretty important. Like it that did started with uh, a lot of money from the military, but what's amazing is that uh, once that uh, was ignited, uh, then. Uh, uh, the economy was shared, like uh, a few people started a few factories for semiconductors, but those people then went on uh, and paid a lot of money for their employees. And then those employees started more companies and more stuff. Like, it's pretty amazing how uh, the, the, the value engine that was created uh, around, uh, first it was military, but then it trickled down to anyone. And, and now, many of the people putting money into these whole ecosystems are people that got their money from actually being part of this. So it's a pretty interesting mm -hmm. phenomenon. I don't know if this has happened ever in the history of the world that so many people got so wealthy mm -hmm. by working mm -hmm. on, uh, as opposed to by amassing riches mm -hmm. from... New wealth. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Interesting. Um, what, is, what are the top one to two to three companies coming out of Guadalajara right now? Well, I, I don't like to think in the, the ways, like, I think there's like, it depends on the way you measure it. Like, FinTech is doing amazing, uh, not in Guadalajara only, but in Mexico, but there's pretty interesting companies, uh, and, and we need to mention it. The, the top four are probably Kweski, uh, which is uh, uh, automating loans, uh, small loans, Without human intervention, intervention, mm -hmm. uh, uh, build pocket is kind of square, but uh, I think they they have pretty good insights on, on on how they are different than square for the actual requirements of Latin America mm -hmm. and, and and the fact that uh, access to bank accounts, for example, is not reasonable for many people, especially outside of the big cities, mm -hmm. and it's actually a hassle to be a bank. So. They, they've got some pretty interesting stuff. Mm. Uh, uh, Presto is uh, a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform, uh, but uh, as opposed to, and, and I'm pretty sure there's many of the, those around the world, but the magic, and it's probably important for LATAM, is uh, in Mexico, a normal, healthy credit card holder will pay uh, uh, 
45 to 70 percent interest rate mm -hmm. and that's someone with a good credit score mm -hmm. like you can imagine what happens if you had a bad credit score mm -hmm. so what they did is pretty easy they uh they do peer-to-peer -peer loans at a way lower uh interest rate so it's a win-win situation for oh. both the lender which will get uh, higher rates than he can get in other uh, uh, investments mm -hmm. and and for the lendee which uh, who can get way better rates than what he's getting so it's a land grab and it's just because the reality and the situation in Mexico is different that reminds me of something that happened in France with Xavier uh, the guy who started a co-working space in Paris Xavier Nella I think his name is or something like that he basically undercut the phone companies in France and when it made it really super cheap and then that changed all of Europe the whole telecommunications yeah. basically yeah uh -huh. so this is happening there's there's many companies like the opportunities in fintech are amazing and it's showing because uh, access to investment at least in Mexico, has been really reserved to the privileged. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, once you start getting these kind of companies that uh, you can start with hundreds of dollars to actually get a, a return of your, on, your, on your savings, it's, it's mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. The other one I would mention in the fintech space specifically, and I, I want to mention a couple more, but is uh, Cien Ladrillos, which uh, they, they are the first company to actually implement a blockchain technology into legally owning a, a small part of a building. So mm -hmm. the concept is pretty uh, simple uh, and the insight behind it is uh, uh, they, they know uh, uh, real estate investment is a sure shot. Like uh, they are not reinventing the world. They know if you buy a, a piece of land, mm -hmm. uh, it, it gains two things, like uh, you get rent if, if you rent it, and also you get uh, the aesthetic uh, value out of just how it uh, increases over time. Interest over time. Yeah. So what they did is they are uh, atomizing this and letting people start with, uh, it's probably five grand okay. uh, to own a piece of property, and uh, they will get the rents every month and they can sell their piece whenever they want, completely legal. So, and it's not a coin or anything. It's just uh, using blockchain as their way of telling uh, that like these are real properties that you can Is go and see. Yeah, it's live. Okay. They they they've done their first three properties, I believe. In, in Guadalajara. In Guadalajara. Yeah, very cool. Wanna, yeah, uh, it's the first one. Uh, World's it first that it's actually working uh, in. Is it five thousand pesos? Dollars. Five thousand dollars. And uh, and can anybody do it, or does it have to be Mexican? You have to be I have no idea, wow. <laughs> but you can do it online, so wow. you can check it out. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, what are some of the other companies? And the other know? ones, it's uh, uh, that I need to mention. Like, I obviously think my portfolio is amazing. Uh, uh, it's just so important to understand that that there's a lot of stuff missing in emerging economies. Mm -hmm. uh, our first startup was, uh, it's it comes from a really simple insight. Uh, there's no standardized uh, SKUs or, or uh, there's not a standard in all the outer parts in Mexico. Like some stuff that uh, it's usually given in other countries, mm -hmm. it's not here. So this insight came from uh, one of the founders 
uh, his dad ha owns an auto parts uh, shop and he saw how every summer when he worked there, uh, people will come to the counter, ask for something, and then they'll first had to figure out which fitted that thing, and then they had to figure out where to find it in the, mm. in the store. So he started by building a search engine mm. for this, and, and when he started going deeper, he understood this was a bigger problem because there was no standardized uh, understanding across the whole industry in which part fitted what car and, and also every manufacturer will do their own SKU so it, it started being a big so the, the big insight and while they're still early and growing is they found this big thing and they became amazing and creating their own database of relations and stuff and they probably know more about auto parts in the Latin market than anybody else. And since the, the manufacturer base, the models and everything is different, this is something unique to the region. It's not, it's, it's not something you can just say like, hey, it's the same in the US. Well, it happens yeah, to be this, yeah. uh -huh. that US models are different than Mexican models and then the brands are different. And then so it's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, I love those stories because you start finding uh, these stories that came out from little insights and, mm -hmm. and can become huge opportunities. There is uh, Unima, which is amazing. Uh, uh, they, uh, they are actually a former YC company uh, and they are, uh, well, not former, they came out of YC, but uh, so they are doing, uh, how do you do testing on, 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 like on small blood samples at a huge scale. So think the next Ebola outbreak or everything, they can deploy uh, thousands or like millions of, of these paper devices they call paper device and it's a paper that has some aminos uh, that they have developed and they can manipulate that react differently to different uh, uh, viruses and diseases so the way it works is it's a really cheap way to deploy into actual uh, zones like epidemic zones uh, a testing device that doesn't require a whole lab to test. So mm -hmm. you get drops of blood and then you take a picture of it with, the, with, with a phone and the phone will process uh, this based on the reaction mm -hmm. on the paper mm -hmm. and it will give you a, 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 like a positive or not positive and that way governments can understand if it's really a problem or it's mm -hmm. not a problem and, and what the type of response they need to do. Very quickly too. Yeah, yeah. they are also working with this uh, with animals and, uh -huh. and for, for large farms and stuff. And what's the name of this company? Unima. Unima, okay. That's really cool. And the, the, those last two you talked about are part of your batch? Are no, of Unima is, is uh, it's pre my batch. Uh -huh. uh, Riggs is part of my batch. And, and my batch has uh, several, like we have AI things they, they're working in help to, uh -huh. like we can spend a long time <laughs> in everyone. Uh, but what I love is how they came to be. Like uh, uh, Indify, I want to talk about them. They're, they, both of the founders, I did, DJs, they got screwed by a, a German label. So they said, uh, let's build our own label online for free for everyone. And we will never keep the copyright for the materials from anyone. And, and they just went at it. And in less than a year, they have thousands of users. They are publishing, uh, uh, they are being used by a hundred and from people from 120 countries already. So it's, it's pretty interesting. That's really cool.
So we've only got a couple minutes left. Uh, what is like a book or an article or some idea that you've heard in the last couple months or last month or so that's really had an impact on you that you think our listeners would have uh, find a lot of value from? Well, there are so many. Um, I think that there's two things I want to mention. One is the fact uh, that I, uh, I've seen like the best way to actually be do, do stuff is doing like I cannot I don't know how to communicate this but uh, I'm always I always have been precautious uh, when starting something and you want to plan and strategize and I have been struggling all my life into changing that and I think I'm pretty uh, on the other side now like I've, I've actually made it and the, the most important thing uh, probably in the world is understanding that the only way you learn is by doing. Like, reading will help you be more knowledgeable uh, around certain topics and understand them better. But the only way you learn is uh, actually doing stuff and, and, and experiencing uh, uh, what you're trying to the achieve. Results, and the results of your actions. Yeah, and that's how I think we don't really fully appreciate how important it is to just move forward and, un and try to understand what just happened, mm -hmm. but after the fact, yeah. mm -hmm. not before the fact. Yeah. So a bias towards action, basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm pushing that hard everywhere. And, and totally unrelated, but this is one of my passions is, there's, this, this is a problem for LATAM, I think, and it's, we don't give ourselves or uh, enough uh, free room to think about the future and see how we can build it for the better. So uh, this is a completely uh, different talk, but uh, I'm always uh, focused on, on, on trying to think how is the future uh, gonna be if everything I'm doing uh, uh, succeeds. And what if everything is perfect? Like, what's the Latin version of the uh, 2200? Like, how it looks? Because if you don't think, or if you don't give enough time and creativity into thinking, hey, are we having, uh, I don't know, flying tacos or whatever, nobody's gonna build them. Like, uh, we're all building what we see in Terminator movies and what we see in, in all, uh, uh, that's in the imagination from writers in the US in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s uh, but there's no there's no say on how LATAM looks like that like how are our values represented in the future how is uh, our food represented in the future how how is it different so I, I would say that uh, and I think this could relate to anyone in the world it's not just like uh, being uh, aware that uh, you can actually influence the future if you start thinking about it and and, and uh, actually uh, do a, 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 an educated guess on, on how would it be like uh, how should it look envisioning the future and basically uh, realizing that you do have agency over your surroundings exactly yeah very cool so how can people find you to find out more about what you're doing? And, uh, yeah, well, it's uh, uh, Twitter. It's probably the best uh, 
uh, way to do it. Uh, my handle is Makote. It's M-A-K-O-T-E. And uh, I think there, like, uh, I, I would not advise trying something else because I'm not that Responsible. committed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a great pleasure.